Welcome to another edition of Market Impact Insights, your podcast source for business leadership perspectives to help your business grow. Hear from experts in marketing, sales, business strategy, and more with practical advice for business success. Make sure you won't miss the latest episodes by visiting marketimpactnow.com. Now, here's your host, Dan Albaum. Welcome back, everyone, to another amazing episode of Market Impact Insights. And today, we're going to explore a topic we've covered before, but in this truly unprecedented year, uh, a year of challenges, there's been this heightened sensitivity to this notion of risk, risk in our personal lives, but also from a business perspective, the inherent risks around some of our most precious assets, which is our data and our intelligence inside of our organizations. And we're going to explore a little bit more about this risk around security and what are some of the best practices and the things we should be thinking about to really protect those very valuable assets with a true expert. I'm so excited to have Sushila Nair joining us today. Sushila is the Vice President and Security Offer Leader at NTT Data Services. And she has over 25 years of experience in computing infrastructure, business, and security. That includes a decade as a chief information security officer. So she really knows a lot about what we're going to discuss today. She's worked in diverse areas across telecommunications and cybersecurity, from everything from risk analysis to credit card fraud, to also serving as a legal expert witness. And as an experienced cybersecurity thought leader, She's also published numerous articles in the computing press. She's also presented in global technical events. Sushila plays an active role in supporting best practices and skills development within NTT data, as well as across the entire cybersecurity community. She also sits on the board of the largest information systems audit and control association, also known as ISACA, chapter in the world. That has over 5,000 members. Wow. So, Shushila really knows uh, this topic of security and I know is going to share some amazing insights that's going to help all of you best plan your strategies moving forward. So with that, Sushila, welcome to Market Impact Insights. Thanks so much, Dan. I'm really pleased to be here. So uh, I always like to start uh, with the guests on the podcast, kind of going back uh, from a more personal uh, story perspective to the beginning of your career. You've had this amazing uh, career a couple decades that I mentioned earlier, but thinking back to the beginning of your career, what inspired you to pursue a more technical career path? You'll absolutely laugh. When I saw this, you know, when I when I thought about this question, I thought this this is uh, I have a very amusing beginning as to why I entered uh, this particular area, which was um, in my final year of school. I went actually to an all girls school, and my physics teacher. I have no idea where they hired a male with a really bad attitude to teach physics at an all-girls school, but he was very much like, I don't even know why I'm teaching you guys physics because, you know, you're all going to be out there pushing prams. I'm like, wow, okay. (laughs) And so what happened was I found out that he'd ended up teaching in this particular school because he had failed his engineering entrance exam a couple of times. So naturally, when he said to me, what are you going to do when you leave school? 
I could only return with the answer, I'm going to go be an engineer. And and so I applied to the engineering school and was absolutely floored when they accepted me because, to be really honest, I hadn't envisioned that as as my career, Uh, though I'd always wanted to do something professional. So, you know, maybe the medical field. And um, so, but nonetheless, I uh, accepted into the engineering school. I decided... I'm going to give this a go and and discovered a real, real love of technology. So it worked out rather well for me. So I perhaps should actually thank them for having placed him there. Um, and yeah, so so I entered uh, and did uh, an engineering degree. And really, there was um, a real focus on um, programming. And so I uh, went into coding for a while, but really didn't like living with my own uh, coding bugs. So I'm like, okay, I got into something else and um, uh, moved more into kind of the networking sphere. Um, and then from there into what was to turn out to be the love of my career, which was um, cybersecurity. So yeah, a little bit of a journey. Oh, thanks for sharing that story. And, you know, it, it sparked something, you know, I've had uh, several friends that got their engineering degrees. And the thing they always told me, even though some of them did not end up pursuing engineering positions, but what they told me was that the value of the discipline and kind of the mindset uh, that you gain going through that engineering curriculum actually has served them really well in a wide variety of roles. Do you feel that way, that that was like this amazing foundation that um, allowed you to really expand, right? To go beyond a traditional engineering role. Yes, I really, you know, I I have never been sorry that I did that degree. It taught me so much, even though I was later never to perhaps use some of these exact um, uh, skills that I learned. It really taught me a way of being able to solve problems and an approach, um, which was, which really, yeah, laid a foundation all along the way. So it was a great experience. And also going into cybersecurity, you know, when I look at my days in engineering school, it really started in there that I entered a world that was largely sort of male dominated. And so I believe in my year uh, that graduated, there were actually only five women among 250 men, which was, you know, skills and I learned as well around um, how to be in a profession where perhaps um, I was not exactly like everybody else. (laughs) Right, right. Well, let's explore that a little bit because you've obviously had a really successful track record and have taken on progressively bigger leadership roles. So from a leadership perspective, uh, what are some of the key learnings you've had along the way? Yes, you know, I think if I could um, reach back and and speak to my younger self, you know, what what would I say? Hey, you know, these are things that would be really, really useful. One, I I think I just naturally had, which was really useful, was this idea of being a lifelong learner. I um, came from a family that was very focused on learning. My father actually was a professor of physical chemistry, so (laughs) definitely (laughs) a lot of learning going on there. So, so really knowing. That or you know, especially if you're working in an area that you enjoy and that you feel passionately about, you know, really making sure 
that you're at the top of your game. And that isn't just about uh, working with the technology. It's about reading as well, which is absolutely um, critical. So, yeah, first of all, you know, be a lifelong learner. Um, And um, also think about creating uh, good connections, right? This is one of the lessons that I learned uh, along my journey. I've always had really very, very good uh, qualifications. And um, I I was working for a startup and the startup actually went um, under and I found myself on the job market. And because I didn't have an extensive uh, set of of network, it was, it was, I, you know, I was applying with everybody else, putting resumes up on sites. And really what I learned from that experience was that it is people that give people jobs, right? And so building out a network of people that you know um, and know you is really, really valuable because, um, you know, I always say that's probably how you'll get your next job, right, as somebody that you know. Um, And it gives you an opportunity as well um, to be able to uh, show skills, especially if the people that you're meeting are actually in um, – uh, associations that are uh, affiliated in some way with your career. So, for instance, you you very kindly introduced um, ISACA. So, ISACA, for instance, is one of the nonprofits that I deal with quite a lot because um, you know they provide a wonderful network of people um, around the area of cybersecurity as well as um, you know risk and compliance and audit. So, yeah, find your tribe, right? Um, build your network around that. Uh, be a lifelong learner. Learn from these people. Find very, very important. Try and find sponsors, mentors, right? People that can help you and advise you not only on um, you know areas that are tech around technology, but also in your career towards uh, leadership roles, right? So that you've got somebody to say, hey, how did you solve this problem? How did you manage this situation? So certainly, I think there's, you know, that's something I'd really advocate for is finding good connections in your field, um, finding sponsors, as well as uh, mentors. And then, you know, really realizing as well, that as you make your way through your career, it's okay to be anxious. There can be situations, and as you reach to your next level, you're going to feel anxiety and sometimes fear. But that's okay. That Those feelings, you know, are very, very natural. Um, and acknowledging them and, and finding a way forward to move on to your next step uh, is how you make progress in life. So, you know, I often say to people, even in public speaking context, you know, when you feel that that uh, concern, then what you need to do is acknowledge it, understand it, but also understand that that is part of life. And that's how you progress is um, making that next step. And that next step can be a little scary, but you can do it. You know, I got confidence. You can do it. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That is so true. And, you know, you mentioned mentoring, finding a mentor and benefiting from that. And there is this interesting uh, symmetrical or cyclical aspect to the mentoring where earlier in your career, if you uh, have the, uh, good fortune of having a really strong mentor, then typically there there's this paying it back where 
people that got that great mentoring are motivated to want to be mentors themselves, right? Have you have you kind of seen that play out, right? That full cycle. Oh, you know, that's I'm so glad you brought that up. Yes, and it's such a pleasure. Like for even for in myself, I've, I have about three or four mentees, and um, I, it, it's a joy to me, right? Because you're right, I can give back. And in any mentoring um, relationship, I believe both sides learn as well. So tremendous amounts of um, value, not only for the mentee, but for the mentor themselves. Those relationships are really important. Yeah, I love that you mentioned that. And I do think giving back is so important. It's important for our own uh, learning, but it's also important because it makes the world a better place <laughs> and gives helps people to have opportunities. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so now we shift to the world that we're in today. And as I mentioned at the top of the podcast, there's certainly been a heightened corporate uh, sensitivity around security, the risk of threats, uh, especially the past couple of years. And there's been a lot of research I, I know out there um, looking into this. Uh, what have been some of the biggest findings uh, you think are behind this, this surge of focus and interest around uh, securing assets? I think the increased um, digitization, the uh, the reinvention of businesses, right, to rely more and more on technology has really resulted in the fact that technology is our greatest strength, but it's also our Achilles heel. So, you know, and, and this has only actually been an accelerated by the pandemic because the fact that we have to socially distance, we have to work from home has really accelerated this idea of us digitizing. So using all of our technology capability to automate, communicate all in different ways. So previously, when we were not so reliant on technology, if your, you know, your, your system went down, you're like, okay, that's irritating, but I can go do something else. Um, in 2017, one of the largest um, cyber attacks of all time, not Petya happened. It was actually a nation state attack that on the surface of it initially looked like ransomware. And, um, you know, as it as it raced through organizations, infecting computer after computer, right, screen going dark one after the other, it took entire businesses down. That one cyber attack, right, that was global, actually cost the world economy about $10 billion, right? And in fact... Wow. Yeah, yeah. In fact, our White House came out and, you know, um, identified it as a nation state attack. And more than that, you know, the comment at the time was, this is the closest that we've ever come to um, cyber war, right? Um, and we see the same comment, by the way, uh, recently around uh, SolarWinds. So SolarWinds um, uh, was a un, uh, for, un, very um, unfortunate uh, breach where what happened is we believe the Russians uh, put some malware on um, on some uh, devices that are largely used in many, many American enterprises, right? Um, so uh, they, you know, the the uh, that attack has had incredible repercussions because essentially, you know, we've had people listening in who are, may not be friendly to us in many organizations and many parts of our government. So, you know, we really see that. Um, 
that as we become increasingly reliant on technology, when technology is um, attacked, because of the mammoth business uh, uh, repercussions, uh, it really has come to the floor of most corporate agendas. And not only corporate agendas, right? Even on a country basis, when we have a look and we say, hey, you know, um, from a nation state perspective, uh, cybersecurity is the fifth domain, right? Why do I need to send people in uh, to attack your nation if I can just bring down your power grid, right? So it's really changing that um, entire dynamic. I mean, just think about it. If we come out with self-driving cars, right, why do I have to um, uh, kidnap you by turning up at your door with a baseball bat? Instead, all I have to do is hack into your self-driving car and drive you to my door. Yeah. So this reliance on technology provides us with ease and, and convenience and speed and all these great things. But it as we rely on it more and more, it becomes uh, the focus of attacks, whether that is for financial gain or whether that's for disruption. Um, and uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So if the knowledge of the reality of these threats has, has really risen, as you said, to the top of the agenda in corporations, what are some of the biggest challenges then that leaders in those organizations are facing when they're trying to craft the effective security strategies. And has this pandemic really complicated that or or made those challenges even bigger? Yes, I really think that, that, I I think it's a really, really astute question, actually. The the current situation has really accelerated um, many organizations' digital transformation, right? So what they've done is maybe they were using a little bit of the cloud. Now they're using a whole lot of the cloud, right? Before, maybe they had supported 10 to 20% of their workforce working from home. Now they support, you know, 100% or 90%. Um, so all of those change introduce risk. And when we have rapid change, because it's difficult to secure rapid change, because you got to think about security, right? Um, Then we generally tend to end up uh, with more risks. So for many organizations, the current um, challenge is to work out, you know, I mean, there's been so many hero stories, wonderful stories of people really, you know, managing within a week to take entire, you know, call centers and offices and and manage to support, you know, complete remote work. What a phenomenal effort. Um, unfortunately, you know, not all of that transformation was with security. So we're having to go back, right, and, and try and fix some of the issues that are out there. I barely know a company that hasn't rolled out something like, you know, Microsoft Teams for collaboration. Um, But have they really gone through and secured that? Because now we're collaborating, right, which is ideal. We're working with business partners, clients all on the same system, right? Wonderful is where we want to be. But how do you know you're not sharing information that might have privacy implications or security implications or IPR implications? So um, real... I think real challenges there for most organizations is to understand where they are today and understand that their threat landscape has changed. And for many organizations, they have the additional challenge of not having the right 
um, skills because and enough people, right? Because they have to move now very quickly to actually bolster up their security because they've had so much rapid change. And many of their people may not have all the right skills. You know, they're more familiar with on-premise, um, maybe um, more traditional forms of uh, security, not perhaps cloud-based security, which is where they need to go. So we've got gaps in knowledge. We've got increased um, risk. And those really present some of the the biggest challenges to organizations out there to develop um, their strategy. And then cost as well, right? One of the things that I often call COVID economics, because here you are, you know that you've made all of this rapid change, but you have concern around... um, financial expenditure, right? Because your business has been impacted. So how do you secure what you have um, with what, you know, with the tools that you have as well is a, is a huge question. Yeah, definitely some uh, clear and, and major challenges there. And I know one of the things you've also talked about is this concept of security through obscurity. Can you share a little bit more about that? Yes, yes. So, you know, um, interestingly enough, um, this idea of concept, this concept around security um, through obscurity has really come from, you know, the world of cryptography, where, you know, you were never supposed to ever base uh, the security of any cryptographic system on the secrecy of the algorithm, because the moment somebody got the algorithm, you know, you were... Uh, that's it. They they were able to read everything that you might be encrypted, encrypting. So the most important um, approach when you know when you're securing something is not to rely on the fact that um, just because something is obscure that that somebody isn't going to find that back door, right? And an example might be, you know, maybe you've got um, some kind of really uh, grand house. It's a it's a mansion. You've got this um, front door, but um, and it looks like it's got this super fancy lock on the door, right? But the reality is uh, you could just uh, perhaps go through the garage or maybe jiggle the handle and it'll let you right. in. Uh, yeah, yeah. In fact, I remember growing up, there was a house down the road that had a big sign that said um, secured by um, by crocodiles. And you never quite knew it. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, mm, yeah. really? Mm, yes. Yeah. Yes. The only problem, of course, right, is the first person that goes into that garden doesn't get eaten by crocodiles. That's it. The sign no longer works. So the problem with security by obscurity, right, is if that secret ever gets out, it's game over. It's like, boom, you're done, right? So (laughs) so formally, what we used to do is kind of rely, you know, many organizations would rely on the fact that, hey, probably somebody won't find this. So when we think about, let's say, the breach um, with TJ Maxx, they were running unsecured uh, Wi-Fi, right? Uh, or at least the security of their Wi-Fi was, was of a level that was very, very easily broken. But very often people will go, you know what? It's not a problem. It's an organizational risk. You know, Nobody's going to find that or notice it. It's all going to be okay. But no, you know, most attacks today, um, there's an element of automation to it and they will find you. You can no longer simply obscure, you know, maybe make things a a little uh, a little more challenging, but you can't rely on obscurity to protect yourself. Interesting. Interesting. And 
So I want to shift back to what's going on inside of organizations that are trying to really refine and, and improve their, their security strategies. And we hear all the time about how important it is to have aligned uh, and very collaborative uh, cross-functional uh, relationships. And that starts at the leadership layer and, and works it down in organizations. And I'm curious from your perspective, you're obviously aware of a wide range of different organizations that are trying to address and reduce these threats. How important do you feel it is uh, that having a really cohesive set of uh, goals and, and strategies and collaboration across these functional disciplines from marketing to product, to IT, to finance, how important is that for that collaboration towards leading to a better strategy at reducing the threat? Again, I think that this, you know, this is absolutely critical. And I'm so glad you kind of uh, uh, were talking about this because where I see the organizations that come out of the pandemic stronger than others are the organizations that really kind of subscribe to this idea of this adaptive workforce, this moving away from silos, right? And yeah. really embedding, yeah, security into everything that we do. And so, you know, <laughs> without doing that, you know, you think about, you know, you'd never sell a car, right? Uh, with security and without people be like, what, the airbags are optional, <laughs> you yeah. know? Seatbelts not required. Equally, security is something that has to be in everything that you do, and therefore you need that security. You need everybody to understand a little about security, right? Um, and you need to embed that security knowledge within the business. And we can see this very clearly in application development, right? Application development has moved towards being faster and more agile and pushing out new features more quickly. And how did they do that whilst not losing security was to build security experts into these scrum teams, into mm. the application development process. Yep. So really, absolutely important that we start doing that, that we understand this isn't some kind of doctor's checkup at the end of a business process where we go, okay, security person, come in now and tell us how we did. We have to embed it all the way through, because the reality goes, um, when we introduce change, we introduce risk, and we should all understand, you know, what that risk is. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so I think what you're talking about is building internal knowledge and capabilities, and not just being reliant on outside consultants, right, but build from within. Yeah, but and really that you integrate that security knowledge into your teams. And if you do have to rely on um, on third parties for that security knowledge, which very often you might do, right? Because what you want to do is kind of focus on your core business, that you really have a trusted partner and understand, you know, just like you may have a legal company that you deal with, uh, as a trusted advisor around legal matters with cybersecurity, it's difficult to have all of those skills internally. Having a trusted advisor or an organization that uh, provides that trusted advice uh, can be a very good move. It really does depend on your strategy, but generally you can't hold all of that expertise in one organization. So having that security trusted advisor can be a very good move. Oh, most definitely. And so when you think about the future of secure technology, Sushila, what makes you optimistic? 
What makes me optimistic is this growing understanding that we need to have security and even a move towards regulating the requirement to um, to secure the information that we have. You know, when you have a look at things like the European regulations, you know, GDPR, which was focused, which is a privacy regulation saying, you know what, data about you belongs to you and you have a right to control that data. And people that collect the data about you need to take responsibility and secure that data appropriately. You know, data is a new oil. We've definitely sprung a leak. So I think <laughs> that it's, uh, you know, the future of secure technology, when I look at it, I feel more optimistic that we're beginning to understand that uh, we need to, you know, we, we need to do these things, that we need to ensure that um, security is embedded in our enterprise risk um, approach. Mm -hmm. And um, that if we don't do these things, we will pay an enormous price for it. Yeah. And so as we begin to wrap up our conversation, any final advice that you have for business leaders that are seeking long-term, sustainable, and secure business growth? Yes, I would really advise businesses to have a look at how they can leverage technology to really differentiate themselves and like leverage that technology in a secure way. You know, one of the wonderful things about uh, cloud has actually enabled people to harness capabilities that you would never have been able to harness, right? I can harness, let's say, voice capability that Amazon has developed, where previously would only have been maybe, you know, the, the top percentage of companies in the Fortune 100 that would have been able to understand how to do that. That's now all at your fingertips, right? The same AI that Google uses, you could potentially use that. Yeah. So there's, yeah, there's just so much capability out there. So really getting out of your mind mindset and opening it to um, really how you can digitally reinvent and and look at how you can provide the best possible service or um, you know or, or create a new business around that and and you know let me give you kind of an example of that I was talking uh, to one particular business who actually um, developed uh, they were they they had a they were part of a uh, kind of a tour company and you'd have to think about the fact that you know during a pandemic that's definitely a, a a challenging business to be in. And they had five people working for them and they would, uh, you know, um, you would go, uh, if you ever went to uh, Lisbon, they had a series of tours. So what did these people do when the pandemic happened? They went straight on to Zoom. They digitally reinvented themselves. They created an online show. Um, and bear in mind, right, these people used to teach uh, 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 how to make uh, Portuguese sangria and some of these other things. They went online. They went from seven people that worked for them all the way to 50 people that work wow. for them. So really understanding that the technology of today is allowing you to reinvent yourself. It is only limited by your imagination and we can do incredible things 
by doing that. But also understand when if you use technology to reinvent yourself, it becomes your greatest strength. It can also become your greatest uh, weakness because it will be a point of attack. So you cannot reinvent yourself using technology without understanding that you also have to secure yourself. Um, but yes, I think, you know, I think that it is that mindset, that understanding, that openness to move to a new way of working that is far more collaborative, less siloed, using technology to be able to do that, walking alongside, right, bots, uh, electronic workers, a real human beings to get the best possible um, output. So, yeah, I think, you know, I think that also is a, a story of hope is there is a lot of capability out there that you're going to be able to harness and really looking at your business, looking at opportunities to pivot, grow, you know, move in directions uh, that you may not have contemplated before. This is all now possible. Wow. Well, it, it's all about thoughtful leadership. Really, what you're talking about is really kind of a deeper level of thinking um, uh, that allows you to move forward uh, in a much more productive and a safer fashion. Yes. Not being afraid of change, understanding that you can pivot, change, move quickly and get it right. Well, Sushila, thank you so much for joining today and sharing your experience and your perspective. The Threat risk has never been greater, and there's never been a more important time to really leverage best practices. And uh, certainly, you bring so many of those uh, that are going to help so many of our audience. So thank you again for joining. Thanks so much, Dan. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. And a reminder for everyone, please give us the gift of feedback. If you like this podcast, please share your feedback. It's very easy to do. You can quickly go out to Apple Podcasts. That's probably the easiest way to do that. And also a reminder, as always, to make sure to visit marketimpactnow.com for the latest in business leadership perspectives. So long until next time.